0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini.
1: Hey, hey, surprise everyone. It's the TSN MMA Show Extra. There was so much to talk about in MMA this week that I thought, you know, let's put out a second episode. Why not? The thing I love about podcasting in general is I don't release a show on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday. Whatever. Whenever Joe can come and we can shoot, you know, shoot the breeze and record a show, we do it. And in this situation... It's a podcast. I can put one out whenever I want. So let's put one out today, because there's a lot to talk about. UFC Nashville uh, coming up on Saturday. uh, But also uh, some interesting things to talk about, like TJ Dillashaw and what's going on with him and his situation in the bantamweight division. Uh, So I had the chance to speak with Pedro Munoz about that. Uh, The aforementioned UFC Nashville, uh, Macy Barber on the card. I got to speak with her about her upcoming bout with J.J. Aldridge. And man, she just completely drips of confidence. She is the epitome of uh, confidence uh, and enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, at age 20, that's very, very refreshing to see in mixed martial arts. And uh, today is also World Down Syndrome Day. So there's one individual in the UFC who's done a ton of work and uh, advocacy for uh, Down Syndrome uh, and raising awareness about it. And that would be uh, Devin Clark. Devin Clark, uh, who trains out in at Jackson Wink in uh, Albuquerque, Uh Light heavyweight who uh, most recently fought in Toronto, unfortunately fell short uh, in his bout against a uh, big up-and-coming prospect and Alexander Rakic. Uh, and he's going to be facing Abdul Karim Edelov in Russia in about a month's time. So got a chance to catch up with him and talk about all the different work he's done to uh, raise awareness for Down syndrome and Down syndrome research. Uh, very excited to speak with him today. And also, I got to chat with Ariel Hawani yesterday. Uh, we we shot it for TSN and uh, i thought i'd bring that conversation to you as well because why not content is content is king let's get some let's get some good content going for everybody and uh i appreciate everybody who's tuning in to this show i know that uh, you've already listened to an hour and 45 minutes of my voice this week so uh, you know uh, kudos to you for hanging in there with me and uh and listening to even more of it uh let's start off with tj delashaw not much has uh, come of that story since the last podcast yesterday but uh, I have been trying to bang down the doors and speak to as many of the contenders in the division as possible. And Pedro Munoz is the only one that answered the call. I tried to get Aljamain Sterling on, uh, Rafael Asuncao, um who's been pretty outspoken on social media. But uh, I got to speak with Pedro about that, and uh, I'm very excited to chat with him about the state of the division, which right now is finally opened up. If you look at the rankings, uh, the UFC rankings, I'm typing that in right now. You can hear me... You know, typing away, chipping away at those keys. But uh, it's completely wide open now with uh, Dillashaw out of the picture until next January at the the earliest. Because we don't know what USADA is going to do just yet. We just know that he's suspended a year retroactive to his last fight by the New York State Athletic Commission. But uh, right now, if you go to the rankings page, it's a big white space underneath bantamweight. There is no champion. you got Marlon Rice ranked number one. Rafael Assunção number two. Aljamain Sterling number three. Pedro Munoz number four. And Dominic Cruz, number five. And Cruz is likely out for the year as well due to injury. So uh, those are really the four people that are in the mix for a title shot, as well as Henry Cejudo, who was the last person to beat TJ Dillashaw and did so in under a minute's time back in January when Dillashaw had moved down to flyweight. And uh, Dillashaw has also been removed from the pound-for-pound rankings as well as the flyweight rankings. So uh, hopefully they never put him back in the flyweight rankings because to see a guy with the the quality of uh, competitor of a TJ Dillashaw ranked like number 10 at bantamweight at flyweight rather that's kind of silly. I mean, he's the number he would be if he was going to stay at flyweight, he's the number 1 guy. But regardless of that, I think that we uh, we we move on. And uh when you look at that division, it's really uh quite interesting because I think Marlon Moraes is a lock. I think he's in that next he's like the next guy to fight for the title. If you look at his resume, it's been a- absolutely phenomenal. Um, since his debut. You know, he lost in his debut to uh, Rafael Sunsau by, I believe it was a split decision. Uh, yes, it was, a split decision. Wins a split decision against Dodson. So, you know, n- not the most interesting fight. But then from there, knockout in one minute of Aljamain Sterling. Knockout in 33 se- seconds of Jimmy Rivera and submission in uh, 3 minutes and 17 seconds of Rafael Asensio. Uh Prior to that, champion of World Series of Fighting, wins over guys like Shaman Rice, high-quality competition, Josh Hill, a nice Canadian guy. Uh, Miguel Torres in his in WSOF one he won a split decision against Miguel Torres, but uh, Marlon Moraes is for real, man. He's uh he's gonna have to, he's gonna be the favorite regardless of who he faces. I think at that uh, bantamweight. I mean, so eh, who You never know. But I think Moraes is is gonna be favored. But Pedro Munoz feels that he has a case to uh, be that next guy. He knocked out Cody Garbrandt in a pretty devastating fashion back at UFC two thirty five earlier this month. Uh, super nice guy. And that's, I think, what's going to be an impediment for him getting this title shot is that he's not the type of guy that's going to come out and and name names and point fingers and knock on doors. He just wants to get in on merit. And uh, we'll discuss that in this interview. Uh, Here he is on the TSN MMA show. It's Pedro Munoz. I'm now joined by Pedro Munoz, who got a little bit of good news, although not very good news for TJ Dillashaw yesterday, that uh, he is being stripped of the, well, not really being stripped, sorry, relinquishing the bantamweight title. Uh, so, Pedro, why are you next in line for a title shot? I've seen your name come up a lot. So, Hudo's name has been coming up a lot. It looks like Marlon Moraes is definitely going to get the shot. Uh, why should it be you who faces Marlon Moraes next?
0: Yeah, um, I have been doing a good job in a bantamweight division, you know, finishing almost all my fights. And then, especially my last one, you know, I knock him out, the former champ, and you know, so Marlon Morais, so Mauro has been doing his job too, finishing all the fighter, all, all the fights, you know. So I believe that's gonna be a very interesting fight. Uh, we're both a finisher, and you know, we have been, you know, working, we have been doing a lot of stem in this bantamweight division. And I think that's the timing right now, you know, and you say, well, he's a great fighter. You know, he's the, the flight weight, uh, the flight weight uh, division champ. Uh, I think the fight that makes sense right now at Bantamweight, it's Marlboro I tonight. So, you know, both both finisher, both going to, to finish a fight. And that's, but, you know, it's going to be very interesting.
1: Now, I know you're not very active on Twitter. Uh, but one thing I've noticed already is that Mar- uh, Marlon and Henry Cejudo are going back and forth. Uh, are you planning on jumping in here? I, I mean, you trained with Colby Covington. You've seen how successful it's been when he uh, you know, gets his name out there and gets on social media and says all kinds of things. I don't know if it's in your nature or not, but is that something that you might start doing to get your name out there?
0: Yeah, I we'll would see. You know, um, like you said, I'm not very active in Twitter, things like that. You know, basically, tweeters. I see a bunch of haters there, so that's why I'm, I'm avoid going there. I, I'm more active, like, in Instagram, which I have a lot of fan base there, a lot of friends and, you know, supporters, things like that. Um, if that's what I need to get a fight, I guess I have to start in doing that, you know, so I guess.
1: What do you think is uh, your best asset if you were to fight Marlon Moraes? What do you think you do a lot better than him?
0: Um, well-rounded, you know what I mean? I believe that he has, like, good striking, you know, he's, you know, the same wrestling in jiu-jitsu, but I believe in that point of view, I'm, you know, better overall.
1: Do you think that the flyweight division is going to stick around? I mean, I think the big argument for Henry Cejudo to get a shot is he beat Dele Shaw uh, in that flyweight fight uh, in, in the spectacular fashion that he did, uh, especially with the, this information coming out about TJ. Um, a lot of people think that he should move up to bantamweight because the flyweight division is going away. Do you think that that's the case? Um, you know, There's
0: that's a, you know, a lot of rumors going around about the flyweight division know, I'm not sure yet what's gonna happen, if that division is gonna be extinct or not. And I of course I see right now, you know, I see right now myself, I see right now this is better opportunity. It's gonna be for me. So um not like I said in the interviews before, I don't know about the fly weight, you know division I'm not a guy that you know, keeping like like I said, social media, doing some of that stuff. I like focus on myself, you know, focusing my like training, things like that. I'm, I'm I don't know what the idea of to do it a weight division if you don't want to keep that division if you don't want to remove. So I'm not sure, you know what I mean. So, but the thing that I've been thinking since that I found out what happened with DJ is, you know, I think a better fight. You know, an man, exciting fight, Marlon Moraes and I. So, not sure about the division, things like that. I hope that division, you know, stays there in UFC, of course. I have a lot of friends, a lot of training partners that they're they fight in that division. You know, one of them is, you know, uh, Formiga. He's fighting this weekend. We have a bunch over here, American top team. And I hope that division stays there. You know, some of the fighters, they're, you know, they, some of the fights, they're very interesting. And, I'm not sure what, what, I don't I'm not sure why they wanna take the division away. You know what I mean? So Demetrius Johnson there was a the guy that was nominated the division for a long time and he said who to camp and beat him. So I think it like it changed a little bit the scenario right now. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that I'm not sure why they wanna take the division away. If is that true or not, you know? And if if someone asks me what I think I I think that they have a great fighter. They have a great fight. You know, so for me, you know, my point of view, they should keep the division. But it's just my point of
1: view. Yeah, I agree with you, especially with Henry being the champion. There's so many new matchups that you can make it in that division. Uh, I think the worst thing about this news for you is that it happened yesterday instead of maybe two weeks ago, because UFC 237 is being headlined by Jessica Andrade and Rose Namajunas, and I think they would have wanted uh, a fight like yourself versus Marlon Moraes, two Brazilians against each other for a title on that card. Do you agree?
0: I'm absolutely 100.
1: Yeah, so when you when you heard the news yesterday about T J what was your reaction?
0: Um starting getting some of the text messages on my phone. Oh, hopefully you get it the title next, or some of the guys that was holy shit, you know, that's your chance right now, things like that and then you know, and then I went to and then I went to the Instagram and then I starting like they have a lot of like they started tagging my name all over the places and and then I saw it and then I found out that uh, TJ De La shot you know, test positive for I don't know what to be They didn't say anything about it, but I started seeing the news. And my first reaction was like, oh man, I think that's going to be my, my, my time now. You know, uh, you know, Marla's number one, I'm number four, but a statistic being number four, it doesn't make sense because I just knocked him out, the former champ, you know, about two weeks ago. And Literally a week before the fight, Cody Gavin, he was number one in the rank, and I was number nine and number four right now. So I don't know how much it affects, you know, the numbers and the rank and things like that. But fact, I you know, I just beat the former champ. And, you know, Marlon and I should be the next one for the title.
1: Your former adversary. I, I, oh, sorry. I,
0: and I, 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 I didn't just beat him. And in and, and a three round fight, I went there and, and knocked him out like in, in one round. So I think that there was like a stand in fight. Anything that I needed to prove that I deserved the title, you know, I said in that fight right there. I show it that I deserve the title more than anybody in that division.
1: I agree with you. I think that that was a very, very big statement win. Um, your former opponent, uh, Rafael Asunzao, wrote Mr. Faber himself told me in person once. That his former team alpha uh, sorry that his former teammate abuses uh, substances and of course other members that we know as well. Did you have any suspicions about T.J. Delisha?
0: No, not like I said. I don't, focus on the, I don't focus on those things. I don't wish nobody, you know, something like that to happen. You know, uh, is each his own. If he didn't or if he did, that's that that's on him on his team. You know what I mean? and i i never i never even i never even thinking about that if it was you know doing drugs or not i so i just my point of view i have so many things to focus on myself to be better myself and i you know i i literally like don't waste like time and thinking about other people things like that you know
1: that's probably the right approach. <laughs> Think about yourself and not others. Uh, UFC two thirty five, after that event, I asked you about this gentleman who keeps tagging you on Twitter. I know you don't go on Twitter, so you're probably not seeing it. It's a Peter Yan. Uh Pedrito, where are you at, boy? And he's tagging you and saying, you know, I wanna fight uh I wanna fight Pedro on this card. what are your thoughts on Peter Yan?
0: Yeah, like I said before, you know, he's you know, he's a good fighter. Anyone in the division right there is good. Um not giving him any attention because He sounds very mature. He's tagging every single guy right there in the division. Um, I understand it's a part of the marketing. He want to get the fighters that it's ahead of him. In my case, the number four, you know, and I don't know if I think he come mouse. Like I saw some video or something. He and Corey Gabrin, you know, he's just like a barking and try to make some noise. And I understand it's a part of the business. I, I I, a lot of people will do the same. Not me though. Uh, a lot of people will do the same, you know. It is yeah, uh, we starting realizing that, you know, UFC is like that kind of promote and which is good, you know, the the trash talk and things like that and calling people out. Um, nothing wrong with that, you know, if uh, I'm sure he and I we're gonna fight sometime soon. But I think right now after, you know, showing my skills and showing my fights all this time. I think right now it's, you know, it's a time for, for a a title fight or if it's not a title fight, maybe one more fight to, 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 to define who is going to be the next challenger and you want to fight me the next for me, it doesn't make any sense because if I beat him, you know, as. Nothing's gonna change. So i literally has to fight for the title next, or some of the some of the top five. This is right there right now to define who's gonna be the next challenger. No fighting him, it's not gonna be defined. Who's gonna be the next challenger? You know, he, he's a good fighter. He's, he's good. I'm good. Anyone right there is good. All the 20-something fighters there is all good. It's just a matter of time to you know be in the ranking, get the right fights or not. You know, I never choose any of my opponents. You know, if you if it, is, it was like one, two fights ago, I would fight nobody. I would fight anybody. I would fight him. I would fight any, any other fight. I never pick any of the fights. You know, all the matchmakers know. They already call me to see, oh, uh, we have this opponent for you. I was like, oh, cool. Even even though that I, some of the guys I didn't know who they are, I was like, okay, it's on. Boom. That's it. That's, that's what I do. That's a part of my job. You know, I train every day. And I believe in my skills, I believe in myself. I can I can finish anybody right there. Number one to the number whatever, you know what I mean? And he's not different. He's acting up and he's acting up, he's doing his thing, he's starting calling out a lot of people out there. You know, if the game works if that if that if the game plan works for him, good for him, you know, we're gonna face each other for sure. And I'm not rushing right now because, you know, I think I have a better fight. I have a, I have other goals to do right now, and one of them is fight for the title.
1: Well, Pedro, you've definitely taken the high road in terms of your uh, ascent to uh, title contention. You've won seven of your last nine. Those two losses were split decisions, five finishes, uh, a very impressive resume, and uh, I wish you all the best. Hopefully that title shot comes your way.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: The Young Punisher... He's 32 now, so I don't know if he's still a young punisher, but in, in terms of the sport, 32 is still very young. Don't get me wrong, uh, you know, as a 37-year-old, as a I think that it's uh, incredibly young, incredibly young. But 32 years of age, Pedro Munoz uh, making a case to be next in line for the bantamweight title. And uh, looking at his resume, it's hard to argue. you got the knockout against Brian Caraway in the first round, knockout against Garbrandt in his last fight in the first round. Uh, split decision losses, those are the only things that have really been holding him back since uh, 2014. So uh you, you look at what Pedro Munoz has done in really the last four years and uh kind of speaks for itself, seven and two record, two split decision losses. So uh we'll see what how that plays out. But uh he doesn't look like he's ready to, you know, get on Twitter and start chirping at people, it's just not in his nature. I told him get uh, get Colby Covington to run your account. Send out a tweet, say Colby Covington's running my account for the next uh day, and he's gonna he's gonna name names for me. Because I, I that's not really in my nature. But uh regardless of that, that was, uh, that was Pedro Munoz, and uh, very exciting to have him on the show uh, because I, I always like talking to Pedro in person. He's a, just a really stellar guy and um, also a very stellar competitor, so uh, good on him. UFC Nashville. Uh, Joe and I kind of touched on this in yesterday's podcast, but I wanted to get into a little bit more depth about uh, this particular uh, card. Um, I wanted to look at some other fights that uh, are going on to... What's your appetite for this card. This is going to be on TSN three tomorrow, uh, starting at I believe the prelims are at like six. The main card starts at eight p.m. So prelim probably at six, and then you got the fight pass prelims that are likely uh, in Canada, or started around five o'clock. But the first fight on the card I really like a lot: Eric Shelton versus Jordan Espinoza. Now the fly, there's actually two flyweight fights on this card as they continue to whittle down this division, and it's you know almost like the Hunger Games in that division. You you got to you got to win to stay alive, it's like Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Flyweights. I am taking that. That's now a trademark of Aaron Bronsted. If you use that, you'll be hearing from my attorneys. Eric Shelton versus Jordan Espinoza. And Jordan Espinoza looked phenomenal on the Dana White Contender Series. I, I'm, I'm quite high on this kid. I think he's got a, a real future. To see him as an underdog against uh, a, kind of an inconsistent guy in uh, Eric Shelton. A guy who, when he looks good, he looks great. But when he doesn't look good, he doesn't do much. So uh, that's one of these, you know, a pretty interesting proposition for a guy like Jordan Espinoza. Uh, Espinoza has uh, won his last four fights. He uh, won with two seconds left in his fight against Riley Dutra with uh, the Dana White Contender Series. Was supposed to face uh, Mark De La Rosa back in uh, November, but that uh, that fight got canceled due to uh, an injury to Espinoza. Now he's making his UFC debut uh, against Eric Shelton. And uh, he's just a really exciting fighter to watch. Very, very fast. uh for the division. One of the quicker guys. So uh, let's see how that plays out. Because I, I'm interested to see how he looks in his uh, his debut. Um, I'm also interested to see how Randy Marcos does against Angela Hill. She's alternated wins and losses up until her last fight where she got a draw. So it's been since it's joining the UFC. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, and a draw. So I don't know what she's due for now. I guess it's a win. We'll see how that goes. We'll see if the pattern continues uh, as she faces Angela Hill. Uh, on this event. And Angela Hill also alternating wins and losses in her last five fights, actually last six fights. Uh, and since joining the UFC, you know, loss, win, loss, win, loss. So neither of them have been able to find consistency in this uh, UFC strawweight division that has just a lot of really, uh, it's a very level playing field. I think there's a lot of parity in that division. So uh, we'll see how the Canadian Random Marcos does. Uh, Alexis Davis, the other Canadian uh, in the, the next fight, um, she is. Uh, Again, I think three and three in her last six. So she's also had some trouble finding consistency. But facing very tough opponents, she has a win over Jessica I, who's fighting for the title actually in June uh, at flyweight. Uh, Lost to Ronda Rousey. A submission win over a fellow Canadian Sarah Kaufman, who had uh, recently signed with the PFL. Lost to Sarah McMahon. Wins over Cindy Dandois and Liz Carmouche, which is uh, really what vaulted her in the, the rankings at uh, flyweight. Uh, but then a loss to Kaitlyn Jukegi, and so. Uh, Alexis Davis also struggling to to make get you know get some ground in that division, and uh, she's going to be facing off against uh, Jennifer Maia, who lost her debut against uh, Liz Carmouche. Now you've got uh, Frankie Science versus Marlon Vera. That's a, a matchup that was postponed from a uh, UFC 235. Uh, I'm interested to see what Frankie Science has left. I mean, he's 38 years old. He's, uh, you know, he was a Division One wrestler, but. Hasn't had a ton of success in the UFC. You know, started off hot at the gates, 3-0, uh, then lost three in a row, and then has a split decision win over Murad Devalashvili, which is a good win, and a decision win over Henry Brionis. So uh, that's, uh, that's what we've got uh, in that particular prelim fight before we get to the main event of the prelims, which is one that I'm really looking forward to in Bryce Mitchell and Bobby Moffat. Now, Bryce Mitchell on the uh, Ultimate Fighter series that uh, Brad Katona ended up winning, I thought he was the best guy. Uh, I know he didn't end up winning, but his ground game is really, really stellar. And I'm interested to see if uh, Bobby Moffett can neutralize that. Um, I like Bryce Mitchell in that one. I mentioned that on uh, on yesterday's podcast. Uh, Macy Barber against J.J. Aldrich. This is an interesting one. And, uh, you know, I talked to Macy a little bit later on. But J.J. Aldrich is not a, is, you know, this isn't a squash. You know, when you bring in somebody like a Macy Barber, a 20-year-old who you think has championship potential, a lot of the time you'll line them up against somebody who's not quite that good. Um, but J.J. Aldrich is good, and uh, they're both moving up the flyweight for this one. Uh, J.J. Aldrich, you know, her wins aren't that impressive. A win over Danielle Taylor, no longer in the UFC. A win over Chen Mi Jian, who's no longer in the UFC as far as I know. And uh, Pollyanna Vienna, who's coming off a loss to Hannah Cyphers, who just uh, lost to Macy Barber. So uh, not not the most impressive wins, but she's looked good in those uh, those matchups. And I think that she's not, you know, she's trained with Rose Nama Yunus. She's not going to be somebody who rolls over for Macy Barber. So that, that's a really competitive fight. Uh, the odds um, indicate that Barber is the favorite, and I think that's the right, the right, uh, you know, the line's accurate. But we'll see how that one goes. I'm interested to see how Macy does against a really, really high, you know, a, a much higher level of competition. Uh, then you move up to Luis Pena versus uh, Steven Peterson. Uh, Luis Pena, 2-1 favorite in this one, and I, I'm interested in it because uh, Pena really impressed me on the Ultimate Fighter, but uh, he's, he's struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, lost his last fight. Um, but, you know, I think that... Putting him against Peterson is putting him in a position to succeed. You know, Peterson's a, a former bantamweight. Uh, Pena, a former lightweight. And I think that if you look at the size discrepancy uh, there, you're going to you're going to see a, a, a huge size discrepancy. I mean, Luis is a giant. Six foot three, 145 pounds. Like, that's no joke. He's a big, big dude. Even in person, very, very big guy. Uh, he lost his last fight by split decision to Mike Trezano, who uh, ended up winning that ultimate fighter season that he was in. But he got injured. Uh, after his uh, matchup against uh, Jose Martinez on the Ultimate Fighter. So now he goes in against uh, Steven Peterson in his new weight class. So uh, Luis Pena is one to watch. He's a, a very uh, interesting guy, good fighting style trains at AKA, and uh, I think could make big moves in that division due to his size. I mean, his size alone is going to make him uh, a very tough uh, out at uh, Featherweight. A six foot three is, is no joke for that division. I mean, he's big for lightweight. Now he's at Featherweight. Uh, Juicy A. against Davis and Figueredo. Figueredo undefeated 15-0. and 0. We've seen a lot of undefeated fighters lose that O this year. But the, I don't think Figu- Figueredo is going to lose that uh, in this matchup against formiga Now, Formisha is the number one ranked guy at flyweight right now. Uh, so with a win, I think that Figueredo probably becomes one or two, might move behind uh, Joseph Benavidez. Uh, Figueredo was actually supposed to face Benavidez back at UFC 233, but that event got postponed. Figueredo wins in the UFC over uh, Marco Beltran, Jared Brooks, uh, Joseph Morales, and John Moraga. Three of those wins con- uh, came by uh, finish. Especially that last one against Moraga was pretty devastating with that big body punch. Uh, so we'll see how he fares against uh Formigia. uh Formigia, one of the better submission specialists in the entire UFC, not just the uh, flyweight division, but uh, has uh, two... Submission wins in recent years against Ulka Sasaki and Ben Wynn, neither of whom are still with the UFC, not due to their talent level, but uh, essentially because they're they're getting rid of flyweights. Lord of the flyweights, as I called it. Now you've got uh, John McDessie against Jesus uh, Jesus Pinedo. This was one that had two guys that had different opponents. You had MacDessie against Nazareth Hak Prost, and you had uh, Jesus Pinedo against uh, Chris Grutzemacher. Both of their opponents fell out, so now they've put those guys together. Uh, Pinedo from Peru, one of the very few uh, fighters in the UFC from Peru. Uh, only 22 years of age, has a win over Devin Powell in his debut. Uh, he's going to face a, a big step up in competition against uh, the Bull John MacDessie. Uh Mcdessey on back-to-back wins over Abel Trujillo and Ross Pearson. 3-1 in his last four. So uh, since moving over to Rufus Sport, he's, uh, he's looked really good. And uh, Jesus Pinedo is uh, a guy that uh, I'm interested to see how uh, Mcdessey fares against. Curtis Blades against Justin Willis in the co event. This is a really interesting one because I don't think we've seen what uh, Justin Willis has to offer in the wrestling department. Is he going to be able to stuff takedowns? Um, all the guys he's faced have been pretty much stand-up guys. Uh, James Moron, uh Alan Crowder. Chase Sherman, Mark Hunt, guys that will stand with you. Uh, Curtis Blades, however, will try to get take you down. He knows his bread and butter is to take guys down. He didn't get the chance to do that against Francis again, who lost in 45 seconds. But you saw how devastating he was against Alistair Overeem and how he was able to take down Mark Hunt. Uh, this is going to be a tough, tough matchup for Justin Willis, and I understand why Blades is the big favorite. Uh, and Then in the main event, Stephen Thompson versus Anthony Pettis, a fight that does not have a whole lot of meaning, but will be a lot of fun. At least I hope so. It could be a staring contest. But I think that Pettis is going to try to push Thompson. uh, And I think that uh, Thompson's size is going to be a little too much for Pettis. And that's why he's a big favorite here. But, you know, Thompson, to me, and I mentioned this to Joe, I think he's the worst matchup for Kamaru Usman in the top five of that uh, welterweight division. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, Thompson, at, uh, I think he's 34 years of age, or 36 years of age now, rather, uh, just turned 36 this year, is going to be able to make another run for the title. You know, time's ticking for uh, for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson to make that last run. Had two title shots against uh, Tyron Woodley, lost one, and uh, had a draw the first time they met, which was the impetus for their rematch, a rematch that a lot of people thought Thompson won. So uh, Thompson's had a phenomenal career in the UFC, and uh, it's going to be uh, fun to see him against Anthony Showtime Pettis. But uh, that's in the future, on Saturday. And we get a chance to speak to the future. And that's Macy Barber, 6-0, 20 years of age, born in 1998. Geez, I'm going to look at things that that didn't exist when Macy Barber was born. Or sorry, that uh, existed before Macy Barber was born, just to make myself feel old. And I'll talk about some of those things after this interview. Here's Macy Barber on the TSN MMA show to discuss her upcoming bout with J.J. Aldrich this weekend. I'm joined now by the future, Macy Barber. And the future is UFC Nashville this weekend against J.J. Aldrich. Both of you are moving up to flyweight, but you're hoping this is your temporary home.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, temporary home, but, but in terms of temporary home, it'd probably be three or four fights. So, kind of a long temporary home.
1: <laughs> what's what's the reason for that?
2: Um, Just nutrition. You know, I'm trying to get my body back to, to a healthy state and from all of my past weight cuts. And, And we're trying to do that, you know, now rather than than later on in my career, and and um, just trying to be smart about my entire career so that I can have a long one.
1: Well, as you get older, your metabolism doesn't doesn't get better. So what's the no? It does not. Yeah. What's the strategy now? (laughs) Yeah. So what's the strategy to get back to 115? Right.
2: What's that?
1: So what's the strategy to get back to 115 after a long uh, stint at 125?
2: Well, of course we have to we have to reboost my metabolism. So I have to go back and do all the reverse, you know, building it back up to where I can burn a, a certain amount of calories and then hopefully, you know, uh once you're burning a certain amount of calories, when you start to drop, your body responds better to the cut. So, um obviously we have to we have to get that up first. Well, right now it's pretty low. So so when we go into calorie deficit, my body doesn't respond as well to a cut. So um, being able to build the metabolism up and then, and then diet down, it'll respond a lot better. I'll be able to get leaner. I'll be able to get stronger. And, um, that's the plan. But again, I'm not the, I'm not the one doing the plan. You know, I have a plan from the Performance Institute and the UFC, um, and, and several other people that are, that are kind of going together and doing that because I'm not the smart one in that sense. I just kind of follow the plan and let them tell me what to do, you know?
1: That's very interesting. That's a cool process. And uh, it's good that they are recommending that you do that rather than cut a ton of weight. I know you didn't make weight last time around, and that's something thing you don't want to see happen again. Uh, your goal is to uh, be younger than John Jones when you win your first championship. And you're hoping, I, I imagine, that that championship is going to be at straw weight. So I'm going to have you envision this. You're, you're there Saturday night, you're against J.J. Aldrich, and you look up into her corner and you see Rose Nama Yunus there. What's going through your mind? Same thing. It's gone through
2: my mind the past past three, three fights that I've fought um Rose has been in the crowd every single one except for the last fight so um she was in the crowd uh three uh, three of my LFA fights as well um because again I was I was fighting against her training partners so um that's not that's nothing new to me and and you know it's kind of like a you know she she's there because she's watching she's seeing you know one she's there to support her teammates but also um she's watching the up-and-coming competition and and she's you know she's, she's keeping an eye out, so um, it's just, you know, better for me, the more eyes that want to watch.
1: Well, there's, there's no guarantee she's going to be the champion when you do get to that level. Have you spoken to her at all? I mean, if she's at all of these events of yours, I'm sure your paths have crossed.
2: Oh, yeah, we, we've we trained together, um, and, and you're right, there is no guarantee that she'll be champ, but I mean, she's, she's uh, right now in the division, that's, who, that's where she is, and um, I, I don't Aside from Tatiana Suarez, I don't see very many people giving a a, a super hard time in that division. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I I think if it if it wasn't to be Rose, it'd probably be Tatiana, who's uh, the champ. So, definitely have our eye on both of those. But right now, we have our our sights set on uh, JJ.
1: I saw a feature that was done on you uh, back in the LFA days where you were just, I think, 19 years old, and I mean, you're only 20 now, so it wasn't that long ago, where you're talking about wanting to become LFA champion, wanting to become UFC champion before you're, I guess, 23 years and eight months. Do you have kind of a vision board for what the next 10 years of your life look like? Are you looking even beyond that?
2: Um, In terms of 10 years, it's hard to tell where you're going to be. You know, I When I was 16, I was trying to put a view on how my life would go, and it's gone pretty much, you know, I, I've gotten to the goals that i set, but... But it's definitely not the path that I viewed, or or the way that you view it. So when you set a goal, like for me, ten years from now, um, I'd like to be on the the other end of my career. You know, the doing other stuff with like media. I wouldn't. I don't know if I want to fight in ten years. You know, I'd be thirty something years old. I don't know. Um, we'll see with the UFC and and how that goes. But I'd like to be, you know, still in the in the world of staying around that. So. Um, aside from that, I definitely see myself being a, a champion, and if not a two-time champion, so um, for sure in ten years. Well, I'm, hope- uh, I'm hoping
1: it doesn't happen that but- soon because my son is going to well- be around your age, and I'm going to be super old. So l- let's keep that ten years far <laughs> farther away than it, it should be.
2: All right, yeah, we'll keep it we'll keep <laughs> far away. It so- does seem like a long time, though. I mean, when you really think about it, ten years seems so far away.
1: But yeah. it's- Yeah, the the time flies, though. (laughs) It does. Yeah, so now that you're in the UFC, um, you said flyweight is going to be the next three or four fights. How active do you hope to be? Um, Are you hoping to have three or four fights in, like, this calendar year?
2: Yeah, um, I would like to fight this one, Um, you know, and as long as I stay healthy. And and I, I don't really spend much time out of the gym, you know. I try not to have, like, a camp. Instead, we try to just train that way all year round obviously you have more intensity when you're in a camp and that's why we still call it camp but um yeah uh i would like to fight international fight week, um and then again uh, i kind of i kind of mapped it out so i did map it out and i have a plan uh, like a planner and i put it out you know i mapped out 14 weeks away from this fight i mapped out 14 weeks away from that fight and then again 14 more weeks and and i believe it's july and then october i want to say And then December or January. So those are like the months that that would be around when I would like to fight. But, again, nothing obviously is planned out and signed and and ready for. You know, you have to get through the first one in order to get to the second one. So um, I'm excited to to be doing this one. This is the first win that I'll get for 2019. And, um, yeah, hopefully I'll get to be on International Fight Week.
1: Yes, you're saying July, October, December. You might be spending a lot of time in Las Vegas then.
2: Uh, probably if that's where the cards are, yeah.
1: (laughs) I've got to say for someone that's your age, you're really media savvy. You're, you're really good and and confident with giving these answers. It takes people a long time to get to that level. How have you gotten to, um, to, to be so well-spoken in these interviews?
2: To be honest, I think, I think the, the ability that I have to be able to carry on a conversation, um, comes from my background I grew up in martial arts so I grew up in around a group of people but I didn't just grow up around martial arts I also grew up teaching it so I had to teach to adults so I was 15 16 years old and I'm helping full-grown adults learn how to do something and you can't just talk to them like you're a kid and 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 try to relate to them and get them to do certain things you know if you're coaching an adult you kind of have to to carry around the, the maturity level of, a, of an adult even though you're not and so Um, I I feel like that was part of it. And then also being able to help parents with their kids, you know, when a parent comes to you and they're like, my kid's doing this in school or my kid's doing that in school. And, and they're talking back to me and they're hitting their siblings. And like, you have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of, okay, I'm a leader here and I can't just, you know, talk to you. Like I don't understand. And, and I kind of grew up that way. Like that's how I grew up was in the martial arts community. And you kind of have a, an extra, pick up maturity inside of you and then just the ability to teach and I grew up, you know, from two thousand ten until two thousand eighteen we owned a gym and that gym had over, you know, four hundred, almost five hundred students at at one point and um and I was just talking to people on a daily basis and, and you learn a lot about people, about um what people want to see, what people want to hear and and also like the fact that you need to be as real as you possibly can with people. And you can't, you can't like sugarcoat things all the time and you can't, you can't just be a, a people pleaser and, and sometimes you're going to hurt people's feelings and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to make people really happy and sometimes you're not. Um, and, and honestly, I feel like that's kind of where I really learned it, you know, um, just having to talk to people every single day on a, like for hours at a time. Um, and it's, it's multiple people. So you learn multiple personalities and, and, and multiple directions in which to take it. So that's kind of like a long roundabout answer. And hopefully I, I answered your question.
1: Well, it was a great answer and a great example of, uh, of how you're, you're well-spoken. So I appreciate that. Uh, you've had, never had any qualms about calling out other opponents. You've talked about Mackenzie Dern in the past. Um, going beyond J.J. J. Aldrich, are there any fighters either at flyweight or strawweight that you have your eye on that you think you match up pretty favorably against?
2: honestly i don't um i don't have anyone that i'm like hey i need to fight you i have to fight you uh obviously the the more notoriety that a fighter has the better they are for my career as well um so i don't know because the ufc is going to give me who they're going to give me and it's, it's hard to tell them hey when they offer you an opponent they're not offering it to you because they're just throwing a person out there they're they have a way, a reason in a, and a, they have a reason behind why they're giving you someone. So, um, trying to take the first person to give us, but also, you know, also working back and forth with them. And I have managers, um, a manager who will, who will negotiate that with me and, and for me. And, you know, if it's not, it's not favorable matchup for us at the time, then, then we'll talk about it, but we haven't had to run into that yet. So, um, I don't have anyone that I have my eye on, uh, yeah, the whole thing with Mackenzie Duran, I keep having people ask me that. They're like, "Well, what? What about now that she's pregnant?" And I'm like, "That's great for her. I'm excited for her um, to be able to start this next journey on of her life." And um, honestly, you know, aside from that, that was just something that we had back in LFA when when she didn't she didn't fight me, and I I still wanted to fight her, you know, um, but I don't have any bad blood towards anyone, and and uh, I'm just excited to you know continue on and 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 get these wins and get the finishes so as long as i get an opponent i'm gonna go out there and try to finish them and uh i'd expect them to do the same you know and hopefully we can put on a good show and and have some some fun but i just want to keep getting opponents getting able to learn and grow in in camps and and then go out and fight and have fun
1: all right, Macy. Finally, uh, Dana White did a long form interview with Megan O'Levy this week and talked about prospects that he's really excited about. And your name came up. He said that you're hitting him up all the time uh, through text, talking about how you want to be a champion. What kind of stuff do you send to Dana White? and How often do you send him messages?
2: I'm um, just here and there, you know. Uh, I think I, I think the last time, well, the last time I sent him one, I just you know said thank you for putting out that article and and or not the article, the interview. Um but I think that the time before that when I texted him was probably in December uh, or, or November right after my fight. And again, I just thanked him for, for the opportunity. You know, I got on his show the they know I see night contender series and, and uh, I just thanked him. Um, and it was honestly, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, well, you're just trying to, you know, talk, talk, talk and, and like be on the good side. But, but really, I mean, we're a team and I'm a team with, with whoever, whoever is in the UFC and, and we all have to work together to get what we want to get, which is, is success all around. So, um, but yeah, in terms of, of what I say to him, you know, I just I just remind him, and just like I remind everyone else, uh, that I will be uh, the youngest UFC champion, and that I will um, be successful, and I will have a career that is something to be built off of, and and I will have a name and and a platform because I know and I'm smart, you know, for 20 years old. I have a long career ahead of me and I'm also smart in the sense of, I know what, what is marketable to um, the big companies and the, and the people that, you know, are sitting on their couch and they just want to hear, you know, they just want to see an athlete, a really good female athlete who doesn't have to do all the things that a lot of female athletes are doing uh, to promote their bodies and to promote them, themselves on a, on a different level. And I want to be that girl that, um, you know, my younger sister can, can, can look up to and be like I want to be a fighter you know and and there's not many women in this world that young girls can look up to and have a good example and not just girls either young kids um, even even if they're not young you know if you have women and and just just people that that are other real people or just have a normal life outside of outside of fighting and they're just trying to maximize their potential and and I feel like that's something people can relate to and And, uh, I just want to be that person that that someone can look up to and and watch and, and not feel like, you know, they're this and this and this, and I don't like this about them or this is really cool about them. So, um, yeah, I just remind them that that's the person I am and and I'm going to continue to be that. And it's, it's good to continue to remind people, you know, if you are always on their mind, um, and you're always, you know, in the picture, then, then they're going to start to believe it. And, and you believe it more yourself as well. So, you know, it's nothing like I just send him a text every single day saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be the champion, whatever. No, it's just it's just here and there, you know, when I, when I feel like it's uh, appropriate.
1: All right, Grace. Well, Macy, thank you so much for your time, your enthusiasm for the sport, and uh, for your future outlook is really something to behold. And uh, best of luck this weekend against J.J. Aldridge in Nashville.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate your time.
1: That was Macy Barber joining us on the TSN MMA show. And when she was born, the following things had already been released. OK Computer by Radiohead. Homework by Daft Punk. Wu-Tang Forever. The films Titanic. Austin Powers. Men in Black. All of these things predated Macy Barber. But uh, I love hearing the confidence of Macy Barber uh, talking about her her hopes to become a champion one day uh, before... 23 years and 8 months, which is when John Jones won his championship against Shogun Hua. She wants to become the youngest champion ever. I And Dana White mentioned this in his interview with Megan O'Leary this past week, that uh, he loves that mentality, and that's the mentality that she had. And even when she was in the LFA, uh, as I mentioned in the interview with her, that was her mindset. So uh, maybe other people have that mindset, and they just don't vocalize it as much, but at age 20, to be that realized as a human being is uh, very impressive. So uh, kudos to Macy Barber. Uh, Now, as I mentioned, today is uh, World Down Syndrome Day. I'm going to find some information on it just to make sure that uh, all of the information is relayed. So I'm wearing mismatched socks today. And uh, that's uh, to support World Syndrome Day um, and raise awareness about uh, World Down Syndrome uh, Day, rather, and to raise awareness about Down Syndrome. So, uh, you know, a big advocate in the UFC for that has been uh, Devin Clark for anti-bullying, for Down Syndrome awareness. And uh, when I heard about uh, Down Syndrome Day being today and saw that it was Down Syndrome Day, he immediately came to mind. I really wanted to speak with him to raise awareness about this. So uh, here he is on the TSN MMA show, Devin Clark. Today is World Down Syndrome Day, and uh, I'm very happy to be joined by Devin Clark today, uh, especially because of the work that you've done, Devin. Uh, to raise awareness about Down syndrome. You've got your uh, your shirt that you have, the Fighting for My Homies with Extra Homies, which is actually on sale uh, today at uh, ReevesTees.com. That's R-E-E-V-E-S-T-E-E-S.com. Uh, and of course, all, all the other work that you've done uh, in that realm. Uh, so Devin, tell me why it's been so important to you to raise awareness about Down syndrome.
3: Um, it actually all started about three years ago when I was newly in the UFC. My friend, Kevin Kroger, he has a son, Camden, that has Down syndrome. Um, so I got close to them and then, you know, we realized we can actually do something about it and spread awareness for, for Down syndrome and, you know, um, equality and stuff like that. So we kind of ran with it. We started doing one thing that it kind of just, uh, it spread a little bit and we got in, you know, working with some, some of these companies like Reeves Tees and it, and, uh, then me and down here training at Jackson, Wink, MMA, there's a lot of big stars and they, uh, you know, they helped me out as well. So, it, it got some, uh, you know, helped get some good awareness.
1: Yeah, I think it's great that you've uh, helped uh, use your profile as a UFC athlete to, to do this, but also a lot of your teammates have really chipped in. I've seen John Jones has gone to different events, Holly Holm. Um, yeah. So, so how do you approach some of your fellow training uh, partners about uh, this cause and why it's important to you?
3: Uh you know, when it, when it first came about, I just talked to them about it, and they were absolutely, they were down, uh, they were down to do it. And Jackson Week MMA, we actually have an, a, an adaptive MMA program now. So kids with you know any disabilities can come and learn MMA, and it, it it helps everybody with their confidence and everything like that. And just meeting new people and it gets the team team going to help other people. Uh, down here in, at Jackson Week, we love to help people. So uh, being a fighter and switching switching you know uh, mindset there. To, to helping instead of beating people up, it's it's a good thing. So. Yeah, I know
1: at my uh, gym uh, where I train, there's a, actually an individual with Down syndrome that has a black belt. So uh, oh, he, nice. he's been training for, I think, upwards of a decade. He's there all the time. And uh, it's, it's just really great to see that uh, people that, that do have um, any sort of uh, disorder or, or any anything along those lines is, are able to um, rise to the occasion and, and um, really become involved in, in the martial arts.
3: Yeah, it's it is amazing and it's 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 uh I'm grateful to be involved in it. I have a friend uh his name's Garrett. Uh you can follow him at Garrett's Fight on Instagram. He's a cool dude. He's actually one of the first uh people at syndrome to actually have a cage fight. Um he he fought in a real cage fight. Uh and I, I was lucky enough to corner him and it was just it was an amazing amazing event and uh, I I'll, I'll never forget that, but there's a lot of people on the other side. They're like, Oh, he shouldn't be able to do that. That's, you know, that's whatever and whatever, but he signed up for it. He knows what he's doing. He trained hard for it. Just like I would train for a fight. And you know, he's, he's just like anybody else.
1: Absolutely. So what's your involvement in the adaptive martial arts course that Jackson's has there? you doing some instruction there.
3: I am not. I'm only a Jackson wing part-time. Uh, I live in South Dakota so I come here for my camps, but when I'm here I try to I try to help out the best I can. They already have instructors in place, so I try not to mess with what they have going on. But um, every time you know, when people come in I, I try to help the best I can and do different events here and there. Um, I think my first camp here at Jackson Wink, it was uh, World Down Syndrome Day while I was here, and we went to Chick-fil-A had a thing going on with um tim harris uh and you can follow him as well at tim's big heart um he actually has Down syndrome as well and he's a public speaker and he goes around he actually owned his own restaurant here in town as well um but we got involved in that and, and so just stuff like that uh you know small events and and whatever i can to help and i saw that the ufc was involved
1: with um your i guess the shirts that you have for reeves tees and uh they they do some work with them as well. So how have you gotten the UFC involved in this, in these particular initiatives?
3: Uh, I just I tell them you know my ideas and and we'll run with it or not. Uh, but there was one uh, when I was in Poland fighting in Poland, we actually set something up with a group, a Down Syndrome group that was there in Poland, and they traveled to the event. UFC let them come backstage, meet all the fighters, and had seats for them at the weigh-ins and. It was a really cool deal that uh, the UFC got involved like that, and uh, it really made these, it made, it made these kids happy. So it was a really cool deal. You mentioned that you spend about half the year in,
1: uh, in Albuquerque and the other half you're with your family in Sioux Falls. Um, and I know you have a young daughter. So are you looking to have them move to, uh, uh, I guess, to, new, to uh, new Mexico with you, or are you looking to continue to be uh, a Sioux Falls resident and, and split time?
3: Yeah, I'll probably stay in South Dakota. I grew up in South Dakota, born and raised there. Uh, I love it there. I love Albuquerque, too, but um, there's just something about raising a family in Sioux Falls that, you know, makes me feel good. Uh, Sioux Falls is one of the best places in the country to live, so it's hard to move out of there. But um, we're at a good place right now where I come come down here to Albuquerque for, you know, four to six weeks at a time and get my work in, and it seems to be working.
1: And do you have a a home base there as well, like a gym in uh, Sioux Falls that you go to?
3: Yeah, uh, Next Edge Academy. Uh, MMA is not huge in in South Dakota yet, but that's probably the one of the bigger gyms. Bruce Hoyer runs it out of there, you know, and and another very good gym and nice people as well. So, um, and we actually have people with Down syndrome and disabilities that train there as well. Um, So it's kind of all over the place. Oh, it's incredible to see uh, to see how
1: involved you are with that, and uh, and how much of a difference you're making. Um, how, what are some foundations uh, that people can look at in terms of uh, you know if they want to get involved or donate or anything along those lines?
3: Well, actually, today if you go, um, you check out uh, at Garrett's flight. Check out his page, and he's working with a company, Inspire Gear, I N S P Y R G E A R, Inspire Gear, and they're selling socks today. And um, I think a lot of the proceeds go to him and his foundation and stuff like that. And, of course, at Reeves Tees, they do a lot of good stuff. So um, those are two main companies that I've worked with. And, you know, check them out, and they have some gear for sale. And it's cool gear, too. So.
1: That's awesome. And uh, so looking at your, your UFC career, uh, you're 3-3 three and three so far in the UFC. You've had a mixed bag of results. You actually were in my backyard in Toronto uh, back in December. Oh, yeah. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you're looking ahead. You got Saint Petersburg, uh, Russia. That's uh, April the 20th against uh, Abdul uh, Karim Edelov. Uh What can you tell me about that fight and why you accepted it?
3: I've always wanted to fight in Russia. Uh, I've, I've trained with some Russians here in Albuquerque, and I love the the culture. It's fighting is part of the culture. It seems like so. Uh, you know, I really wanted to fight in Russia against a Russian and earn earn that respect. You know, for for myself. Uh, it's just something that seemed cool, and not a lot of people would want to do that. But it's it's really a, a fighter's type fight. So,
1: yeah, this is a guy who hasn't been very active uh, the last four years. He's only fought once, um, and mm-hmm. if you look at I guess his fighting history, hasn't fought the best of competition. Do you think you can use that to your advantage?
3: Uh, a fight's a fight. Usually, people come ready regardless uh, of their competition. So, you know, I always just go out there and do what I do. Uh, regardless if they're ready for it or not, I'm going to be the best me. So. And given the
1: background of uh, Abdul Karim Edlov, he's very involved in, in like che- Chechen government, and we know what there, there's some pretty dastardly things going on there. You're you're big in anti bullying. Was that any sort of in- incentive for uh, for taking this fight?
3: Absolutely, um, that was a cool cool part of it, uh, and interesting. So it became an interesting fight. Uh, I try to keep politics and everything out of it and let the fighting speak and, you know, if someone that does care for all types of people can beat you, then that might teach him something.
1: All right, Devin. Well, it's uh, great speaking with you on uh, on a day like today. Uh, you were the first person that came to mind when I saw that it was Down syndrome uh, day today. Uh, and I'm very happy yeah, well, that... Yeah, thank we, you. Yeah, I'm very happy we got the chance to speak. So uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, I look forward to seeing you... Uh, I guess it's next month. It's coming up quickly. About a month from today, you're going to be uh, in competition.
3: Yep, Yep. April 20th. Uh All right,
1: thanks so much for your time, and best of luck Uh with everything. If if, if there's anything that uh, you need us to do in terms of raising awareness for uh, Down syndrome, please give us a ring.
3: All right, thank you. Appreciate it.
1: That was Devin Clark fighting in the light heavyweight division against uh, Abdul uh, Karim Edlov in a month. I'm having trouble with that name, aren't I? Let's look at the light heavyweight division because there was a matchup made this week that I absolutely hate. And it was uh, Luke Rockhold making his debut in the division against Jan Blachowicz. I think that's at UFC 239. Uh, let me just double check that. At International Fight Week. I just want to make sure I get that right. Uh, I'm pretty sure that is the key. Yeah, but UFC 239, International Fight Week, July the 6th, T-Mobile Arena. Luke Rockhold facing Jan Blachowicz. Now, could you give Luke Rockhold a less interesting opponent? You've got Jan Blahovich coming off of a loss. you got Rockhold jumping into the division trying to make up ground, potentially become a title competitor, or title contender, rather. You give him Jan Blahovich. I mean, when you have guys like Tiago Santos, you have guys like Johnny Walker who's making some noise, why not put him against somebody that's going to really draw some interest, drum up some interest? I just don't understand this one at all. Like, you look at the light heavyweight division right now, You have Dominic Reyes, who just had a a good win. That would have been a good opponent for him. Uh, Gustafson and Anthony Smith tied up, but looking down the list, I mean, there are just a lot more options that would make more sense. Uh, I'm looking at Volkan Uzdemir, but I know that they trained together at the Combat Club or Hard Knocks 360 or whatever they're calling it that day. uh, These days, rather. But uh, I just don't get it. I do not get why you have Luke Rockhold uh, face Johan Blahovec in his debut, but that does lend some credence to my theory that they want to have Daniel Cormier in the main event of uh, or co event of uh, International Fight Week. They typically like to throw those guys on on the same cards, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that's uh, one thing I just wanted to talk about because I, I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand why you make that matchup. To me, it it just does not make a whole lot of sense. We also had uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Ian Heinisch booked for uh, Rochester i like to see Heinisch get a, a fight uh, in the next two months after, basically a month and a half, rather, uh, after what happened to him uh, traveling all the way to the UK and then his opponent dropping out on fight day is very, very difficult to, it's uh, a tough bill to swallow. Uh, speaking of Holly Holm, who we uh, mentioned in the, the interview with Devin Clark, she just signed a new six-fight deal with the UFC, so she's going to be around for some time if she does end up fulfilling that contract. And then you've got RDA versus Kevin Lee, main event of UFC Rochester. Now that's an interesting one. Because uh, the welterweight division is getting crowded. It's getting very crowded. If you look at the top 15, I think I mentioned this uh, in my interview to Stephen Thompson. I think six of the people in the top 15 are on six-plus fight winning streaks. And now you've got a guy, fourth-ranked guy like RDA against Kevin Lee. So if Kevin Lee ends up winning that fight, you're going to bump somebody. One of these killers, like a Vicente Luque or a Gunnar Nelson or one of these guys out of the uh, top 15. I know Gunnar Nelson's coming off a loss, but... I mean, this this is getting to be a very crowded division. Uh, Kevin Lee says the move isn't necessarily permanent, but uh, that matchup came up and he was interested in it. Now, what's going on with Gregor Gillespie? Because Gregor Gillespie should be on that Rochester card. He's like the upstate New York guy. Let's get Gregor Gillespie on that Rochester card. I'm actually going to be in attendance for that Rochester card. It's very close to Toronto, so I'm going to uh, make the drive, cover that event for TSN. So having somebody with the charisma of Kevin Lee that can... Uh, Deliver some nice sound bites is never uh, never a bad thing. RDA too. RDA likes to talk. English might not be his first language, but he uh, he has a lot to say. Uh, Barboza versus Gaethje's in just over a week. Oh, who's not excited for that one? This Philadelphia card's quite nice. I like it. I, I mean, the co event of David Branch versus Jack uh, Her- Hermanson leaves a little bit to be desired, but Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barboza is a great, great, great matchup. Um... Also looking ahead to that Rochester card, um, I think that uh, it's going to have uh, some some solid fights on it. You have Aspen Ladd versus uh, Sajari Eubanks. Uh, Mike Trezano coming off that win and winning the ultimate fighter against Grant Dawson, who I think is a really tough fighter. So uh, a lot to like about that card as well. Um, that'll be after UFC 237. No, I was thinking about UFC 237 recently, about how the headliner is Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade. But my mindset then went to the Aldo versus Volkanovski fight. Because looking at the featherweight rankings, you've got Aldo ranked 1, Volkanovski ranked 4, and you have Max Holloway potentially forfeiting the title or relinquishing the title if he beats Dustin Poirier at UFC 236. And that can happen any time after UFC 236. So what's to preclude the UFC from saying, you know what, we're going to put a title on the line, we need to move this division along, Aldo versus Volkanovski for the title? Now, Aldo doesn't want to participate for the title, which is a very odd thing. He wants to to retire at the end of the year, I believe, or do something else uh, at the end of the year, he's been saying. But he's looked good. He's looked real good. Two wins inside the distance in a row in the two three-round fights. Jeremy Stevens, Mike Tano, he finishes both guys. Now he's taking on Volkanovski. But uh, would you be disappointed if that was a title fight? I know I wouldn't. You get that division moving along. We got a lot of people in that division that need uh we got mouths to feed in the featherweight division. Now, if Holloway loses, he becomes a moot point, he moves back down to featherweight and keeps the train old train rolling. But uh Aldo versus Volkanovsky, it wouldn't surprise me if that ends up being a title fight. For the vacated, undisputed featherweight title of the world. That would be a lot of fun. I like it. Uh I was going to wrap up, but I forgot that I uh, I had a great chat with Ariel Hawani the other day, uh, and I wanted to make sure that uh, everybody hears that. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out on tsn.ca slash UFC, uh, and you're just interested in the audio, you don't want to see our ugly mugs, here it is. Ariel Hawani joining me on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by MMA insider Ariel Hawani of ESPN. So- T.J. Dillashaw earlier today, he comes out voluntarily with information that he has uh, been flagged by USADA for anti-doping violation, also flagged by the New York State Athletic Commission, and the commission says he's suspended for a year. Uh, Walk us through the story and what the implications are.
4: Yeah, so this is obviously massive news, Aaron. Early this morning, around 8.15 or so uh, a.m. Eastern Time, T.J. breaks the news himself that, as you mentioned, he's been flagged. Uh, We come to find out later via USADA that it was for a test that happened on February, excuse me, January 18th, so a day before that fight against Henry Cejudo and as a result of that, he is voluntarily relinquishing his title. Now, it's important to note, had he not come out with that information, USADA wouldn't have commented on it because their new policy is that they comment at the end of a process such as this one. However, New York could have commented on it as well. As you mentioned, um, there's two infractions here. So New York comes out and says that he's been suspended for a year and also fined $10,000. Also important to note that the suspension is retroactive to January 19th. The most important thing, I think for MMA fans right now is that there is no longer a UFC bantamweight champion. The title is vacant. And so we have to wait and see what they're going to do. There's a lot of moving parts here. Do you have Henry Cejudo, who just beat T.J. Dillashaw in 32 seconds, move up to 135 and fight for that vacant title? Do you have uh, Marlon Moraes now come and fight for the vacant title against the Henry Cejudo, against the Pedro Munoz, against the Aljamain Sterling? There's a lot of moving parts. And we also don't know what the substance was. USADA hasn't said it. New York hasn't said it. And of course, T.J. Dillashaw hasn't said it as well.
1: With TJ voluntarily relinquishing the belt, is this one of those uh, you-can't-fire-me-I-quit situations knowing that he probably was going to get stripped anyways by the UFC and now he gets to do it a little bit more gracefully on his own terms?
4: Well, now T.J. Dillashaw is the fifth fighter in UFC history to fail a drug test while being a UFC champion. Uh, We've had Josh Barnett, we've had Tim Sylvia, we've had Sean Shirk, and there's one other one that is escaping me right now. Oh, John Jones, of course. And so all of them have uh, been stripped of their titles when they... Uh, when they failed those drug tests, so perhaps he's getting ahead of it. It's sort of reminiscent, I think, of Daniel Cormier saying a day before the Gustafson-Jones fight in December that I am relinquishing the title as opposed to you guys taking away my belt from me. Uh, I think that's somewhat semantics. Perhaps it's a smart and shrewd PR move, but the facts are he's no longer the champion, so it doesn't really matter who took the belt, who's giving up the belt. There's no there's no longer a champion at 135, and by the way, they, they really dodged a bullet here because he could have won that fight at 125, and you now have... Uh, a vacant title at 125 and 135 had he won that that fight so um in in some respects they've dodged that bullet
1: yeah absolutely uh this must be a a breath of fresh air for those in the bantamweight division because this championship has only been contested by four people in the last three years now all of a sudden these contenders who were kind of sitting by idly watching him compete for the flyweight title it's now wide open
4: yeah i actually think initially i was thinking that this might be the best news possible for 125ers and 135ers who have been a little frustrated with the idea that Henry would now move up to 135 and and, and fight for the 135-pound belt while still being the 125-pound champion. But now that I've had a few hours to think about it, I actually think that this expedites the process of phasing out the 125 pound title and what I mean by that is it's so interesting like this time yesterday Marlon Marais was on the outside looking in and he was in my opinion the rightful number one contender at 135 now all of a sudden after this news he's the most secure guy in the entire situation. I think that he is a lock to fight for the vacant title. So he goes from being the odd man looking into the the Henry Tj2 fight at 135 to now being a sure thing for the vacant title fight. And I actually think that they're now going to move Henry up to 135 and have him fight Marlon Moraes for that title at 135 pounds. I know that there are the likes of. Aljamain Sterling and others campaigning for a shot at Marlon Moraes. I think everyone agrees that Marlon deserves that 135-pound title fight, but I think that now a lot of fans were sort of eye-rolling at the idea of having this rematch, which never really made sense at 135, in my opinion, at least. Now it's a fresh fight. Henry beat TJ. Who really disagrees with the fact that as a result of being TJ, he's allowed to try to make history himself by going up to 135? It's very clear that they're phasing things out at 125, so have him fight Marlon Moraes. It's a fresh matchup. It's a fun matchup, and it also plays into their plans of slowly but surely phasing out the 125-pound division.
1: Do you think that that division ever has a title contested again at 125, or do you think that it's uh, basically marked for death?
4: Well, I know that Henry and his team don't want to give up that belt. I know it's very important for them to remain champion. They want to make history. They want to be uh, dual champions, so to speak. But if you read the tea leaves and you look at all – I mean, there's a Juicier-Formiga fight happening this weekend in Nashville that really – I mean, like, what is – What is at stake there? I have no idea what's at stake. It's a very strange situation because slowly but surely they are releasing these flyweights who are coming off losses or giving them the opportunity to move up to 135. So I just don't feel like the UFC is all that interested in building up that division anymore. It's very clear to me. So especially now with T.J. out, you give Henry the opportunity to move up there. You have him fight a guy like Marlon. It's a fresh matchup, like I said. That gives them even greater of, of, of a reason to just get rid of that division sooner rather than later. And that's why I think this actually expedites things. Uh, they need a main event for June. I don't think Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I is going to be a, a main event. Uh, they, they need title fights for July. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to make this fight for the June-July range.
1: You reported yesterday that the uh, first Canadian main event of the year had been verbally agreed upon. Al Iaquinta and Donald Cerrone was made official today by the UFC. What do you think are the implications of that fight? And what do you think Canadians uh, have to look forward to with that particular card?
4: Well, I like the fight very much. Uh, I think the, the good people of Ottawa deserve a main event like this. Al has looked great as of late. Of course, Cerrone has looked good since going down to 155. Looked tremendous, really, against uh, Alexander Hernandez. But to me, the big story, coming off of this news is quite honestly I think that uh... Cerrone sort of misplayed his hand uh... with the conor mcgregor sweepstakes i think that he had connor's interest peaked after his win over alex hernandez clearly the ufc was behind this idea and i think as i've said before and i've taken heat for this and and, and cowboy got mad at me for this but i was trying to offer him some unsolicited advice i don't think connor gets excited about the idea of someone saying I'd love the opportunity to fight you. I'd love the honor um, to fight you. I I love to, you know, I'm in your world, things like that. I was trying to tell Cowboy, look, you're the winningest fighter in UFC history. You're looking good at 155. It should be his honor to fight you. And I think the social media posts, you know, this is the first time that we've ever seen Conor, excuse me, uh, Cerrone actually actively campaign for a fight. We haven't seen this out of him before. He really wanted this Conor fight. And I think he was just coming across as too nice in the process. And so that fight just sort of fell through. It's not on the table anymore clearly there was talk of a potential nate diaz fight but that really never materialized so ally quinta is the next best thing and i just want to say this is a great fight it's a great fight for al it's a great fight for cerrone it's a great fight for the ottawa fans but it's not the mega marquee fight that a conor mcgregor fight is and i think perhaps in hindsight he should have done things a little differently
1: now you mentioned that there's a possible development in a trilogy fight between nate diaz and conor mcgregor is that the way things are trending right now
4: Well, it just seems like the path is now completely open because you have Holloway, and poirier fighting for the interim belt in april uh, you have tony ferguson who's dealing with some personal problems so he's no longer in the mix at least as of right now you have I quinta fighting cerrone and, and and what does that leave us with that leaves us with connor who they want to come back sooner rather than later and that leaves us with nate diaz who is itching to get back in there and we all know that he wanted that fight we all know that connor has said on multiple occasions that he wants that trilogy fight that before it's all said and done they will fight each other for a third time to me Right now, considering the issues that Connor has had, considering the fact that uh, Nate has kind of cooled off a little bit because he hasn't fought in almost three years, this is just what the doctor ordered for both of these guys. This is the perfect medicine to get them back in the mix. It's, it's a fight that TSN, ESPN, mainstream outlets all know about. It's a rivalry we all know about. It's a fight that a lot of people get excited about. It's two personalities who are larger than life. Both fights prior to the third were great. I just think it's a no-brainer at this point. This is the fight to make.
1: I had said that since Conor's loss, and from a business standpoint, I think it's the fight to make. And uh, with new partnership with ESPN Plus for pay-per-views, no better way to, you know, enamor yourself to your partners than put on a fight that could do upwards of 2 million pay-per-views.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure about the 2 million right now just because I feel like Um, Nate's lost a little bit of momentum but if I mean we saw what happened at that press conference right it was like 11 days before UFC 196 and all of a sudden the feud just exploded it was tremendous theater they are magic together they are so different they come from different backgrounds and uh, you know the the first fight was a lot of fun the second fight was super close some people still believe that Nate Diaz uh, deserved to win that fight I thought Connor did just enough winning three rounds to two. I just think it's perfect and and, and it will get people excited and there's no belts attached, right? Because when Conor fought him the first two times, he was the featherweight champion. I think that bothered people that he was holding up that division. It's perfect. The only thing I would change from the first two fights is I would make this one at 155, a more natural weight class for both Conor and Nate. It gives it a, a little bit of a fresh coat of paint, if you will. It's a new wrinkle to the feud. That's the only thing I would change. I would try to do it for International Fight Week if they can. Um, and I, I would try to do it sooner rather than later if they can't get it for the July card.
1: Looks like a fight that's going to happen uh, in the future. It makes a lot of sense. connor has been asking for it. He said that he wasn't quite as motivated as he would have liked to be going in against Khabib. Hopefully that motivation is sparked by the theater, as you mentioned, with uh, Nate Diaz. Uh, Ariel Hawani, breaking stories left, right, and center. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. All right, it's Ariel Helwani joining me on the TSN MMA show. Actually joining me on TSN, but we we wanted to play that for the TSN MMA show as well. All right, all right, hold the phone. So earlier in the show, I mentioned that I was trying to bang down the doors and get as many of the bantamweight contenders on, and that Pedro Munoz was the only one to answer the call. But I stand corrected, because at zero hour before we put this thing out, Aljamain Sterling has also answered the call and uh, wants to chat about what happened in the... Bantamweight division, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. It's Aljo! Here he is, Aljamain Sterling, answering the call. I spoke to Pedro Munoz earlier, and now I speak to Aljamain Sterling. Two guys trying to make their case for the Bantamweight title now that it's been vacated. When you heard about TJ Dillashaw and what happened uh, yesterday, what was your reaction?
5: Uh, It was nothing but excitement for me, because I know uh, sometimes, you know, and I, I don't wish this on anybody, but... Sometimes uh, one man's misfortunes or another man's fortunes, and uh, now some opportunities and some doors open up. And, you know, I'm just trying to state my case and think I put enough work in and I'm, you know, I'm ready to go.
1: Well, this division's been stagnant for so long. You've had the same four guys Faber, Cruz, Garbrandt and Dillashaw competing for the title since January of 2016. So that's over three years. Uh, what's it like to know that this whole thing has been opened up, but guys like yourself, uh, even Pedro, as I mentioned, Marlon Rice, everybody's going to have a crack at a belt that's been pretty elusive.
5: Yeah, for sure, man. It's been a long time coming. I've been at the top of the mountain and I, and I missed that one marquee fight uh, twice now. And uh, I, I think I finally got it. And we finally got some shake up at the top of the division uh, Pedro did his part. We we both actually made our UFC debut the same day on the same fight card. And um, here we are today, a couple of years later, and we're both at the top of the division gunning for that UFC crown. So um, if he's the – you know what, man? If he's the guy I got to get through to, to to state my case, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to doing that either, you know. Um, I think I'm definitely the next guy in line, especially with this shakeup. And uh, I think the fans need an exciting fight. And I'm I'm ready to deliver it.
1: Well, the the weird thing here is the X factor, Henry Cejudo. I mean, he just beat Dillashaw at flyweight. Uh, Dillashaw obviously ends up testing uh, positive or having an adverse t- uh, test result. But Cejudo seems to be, you know, asking for this title fight. Uh, even though now it would be with Marlon Rice. What do you think about him being part of this whole situation?
5: He hasn't even done anything at his weight class yet. I don't I don't really understand it. You know, the the whole thing was. You know, I get it if they're getting rid of the 125-pound division. If the UFC is not going to finally come out and say that, then what are we doing? The guy has worthy contenders at his weight class that have beat him already. Let him defend the belt at 125, and at the and, and then if he wants to come up, I understand it. You, his credentials, they speak for themselves. He's an Olympic you know, gold medalist. I get that. He's a UFC world champion now. Um, a lot of people didn't think he beat Mighty Mouse in his title fight to earn him the belt in the first place. But um, here we are. He's, he's in a position that uh, a lot of us are trying to, trying to take from him. And uh, we're the ones that have been putting in the work at this division and, and knocking off contenders. I just don't think it makes any sense for a guy who hasn't done any work at this weight class to come up and just skip the entire line. This whole Conor McGregor thing is getting so played out with super fights. Um, There's guys who, who've been fighting and, and, Clawing through the battlefield to, to to get to this point in their career, um, at the end of the day, we're people, man. We we got families, you know. We're, we're not we're not doing this just to do it. We're doing this at the, for the one main goal, and that's to become UFC world champion. Sayudos already that at 125, so the 135 pound division needs to needs to figure out who's the the new bantamweight king at this division right now, and Sayudo could just go go play in the sandbox down there or something. I don't know. Get just get out of here.
1: Well, I mean, that's what Joe Benavidez was saying. It's, the issue with Flyweight is that it was so stagnant with DJ beating everybody. Now you've got a new champion and so many new matchups you can make, and now they're closing it down. It doesn't seem like ideal timing. And as you mentioned, all you bantamweight uh, contenders have been working really hard to get to where you are right now, given that, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the four contenders since 2016 have been the same guys. So uh, that, that's the problem that I think a lot of people have with uh, Cejudo entering this mix.
5: Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. Just, he hasn't done any work in his division. Um, we, seen, we see this time and time again. I'm not saying he can't beat guys at 135 because he's, he's a very talented dude. But there are guys who deserve this position and have earned their shot. Marlon's, Marlon Moraes is one of those guys, for sure. That's hands down. And uh, I would like to think that I'm next being that Marlon just beat a Sun Tau, And I'm ranked third in the division. I beat a guy who beat uh, who beat Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Um, Pedro just took out the champ, who I thought didn't even deserve a chance to, to fight for the belt in the first place. He kind of just got bumped to the top of the line because of uh, tattooing his face and his neck and, his, and plucking his eyebrows. So I guess the UFC liked that and they, they pushed him instead of guys who are who are doing the right thing and are, are clean cut. Um, you know what, man? Sometimes I guess you you got to be a little bit of an asshole. You got to be a little bit of a, of a of a bad boy. It seems like that's the, the way to get title shots these days. And uh, I don't know, man. You know, I've been working so hard for this, and my opportunity is finally here. I just hope the UFC does the right thing. But at the end of the day, uh, if I got to fight one more, I'll fight one more and uh, solidify myself as the number one contender.
1: You mentioned that that's the way you have to promote yourself, and that's the biggest issue with Pedro Munoz. I spoke to him, as I mentioned earlier, and he has a Twitter account that he doesn't use. Uh, You already see Cejudo and Marlon Marais going back and forth uh, and trying to create some sort of buzz and some sort of hype, but Pedro refuses to do that because he's such a nice guy and wants to take the high road.
5: Yeah, I agree, and the thing that sucks is I don't even think Marlon's even writing his own tweets. I think it's his manager, um, Ali, Ali, um, I can't even say his name. Abdelaziz. I'm not even gonna to try to say that ali, <laughs> ali he manages he manages sayuto and he manages marlon Moraes. and he also manages cody Garbrandt. so when you when you have like a log gym like that at the top of the division you get this guy he he's getting paid on both ends and you know I'm not trying to mess his money up but obviously there's there's some uh, there's a little bit of uh uh- contra- not conflict contract, of interest. But, um, conflict of interest in this in this situation you know he's double dipping so, he's trying to make the fight between both his guys, but that's not the fight to make. I mean, I, I get it on his angle, but um, if these guys are going to talk, let them do the actual talking. You know, he's he's the guy running the sh- – he's kind of like running the sh- – I don't want to say he's like the puppet master, I guess. I, I don't think he's doing it for Sayudo. I think Sayudo's intelligent. Not even intelligent. He's uh, articulate enough to write his own stuff and post his own stuff and uh, be himself, but – I, I guess Marlon might need a little bit more help with that stuff in terms of just his upbringing and being from a different um, cultural background. Um, English is not his first his first native tongue, so I get that. But I, I, this is just it's just getting really weird. I'm starting to call this like this is the real drama show, and uh, I don't know, man. It's just I, I talk because that's just me. I like to build the interest in the fight. That's I me. Mean. I naturally do that. You don't gotta you don't gotta pull that out of me. But I'm not gonna ever go above and beyond and go start crossing lines but like full-on conor mcgregor attacking countries and things like that but um yeah man i i understand pedro and that's why i think he's going to get passed up by by myself and at the end of the day closed mouths don't get fed so this is the new era that the ufc is is turned into and fans some of the fans like it some of the fans hate it but at the end of the day we got put we got to put food on the table and we got to put money in the in the pockets of our of our family so you know, I got to do what I got to do to uh, get my name in the mix, keep my name in the mix.
1: I did get something out of, of a chuckle of uh, Henry Cejudo accusing his own manager of chirping at him through the account yeah. of Marlon Rice.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's hysterical. I mean, how funny is that? He's like, yo, this is not even you. This is Ali <laughs> behind, you know, the puppet, it's the puppet master. It's like, yo, what are we doing? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't think gives the, I don't think Marlon cares who he, who he fights. So, you know, I'm ready to run it back. You know, it kind of sucks because I took that fight with him on short notice. I, I overlooked him. I didn't think he was that good, and uh, I paid for it. You know, one little, one little minor detail that if I just done my homework on him would have never happened. And it kind of sucks because it, that's always going to be the, the the taint on my my first initial fight with him. But I guarantee we run that back. It's a different fight. He's going to be the guy who's going to be. I'm I probably tap. I probably tap his ass out. To be honest, I don't Ooh. think his is that good.
1: But well, the weird thing about that fight is, watching it back, it looks like a lot of the contact was incidental. Like, I don't even know if he was purposely targeting you, knowing that that was something you were going to do, or if he was just throwing a kick and you, you went for something that ran into his leg. <laughs> I mean, do, do you ever look back at it and think that that's something that may have happened?
5: Oh, 100%. I think, it was, I think it was the flukiest thing that could have ever happened. I zigged when I should have zagged, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even that. It, he was throwing a body kick. And the way he throws his kicks, he throws them very similar to the way I throw them where I lead with the knee and it gives you like a little defensive shield as you turn over your hips to get a little bit more power into your kicks. And it just happened to be one of those things where he was leading with the knee and I shot in at the same time and I shot from Guam and I ran face first, chin first, right into it and hit me right on the button and I was out. I mean, I don't think he gets any flukier than that. And kudos to him. He threw the kick and I I ran into it. I just, you know, I got a, a little emotional in the fight. And I, I just, like I said, I just didn't do my homework. But I know Lightland doesn't strike twice in the same place, and I I like my odds. I think uh, he's looked average against John Dobson, John, and he looked average against a the first time. I don't think he does anything super spectacular besides having knockout power, one shot power, I should say. And uh, I just, I'm the hardest guy to hit in this division. And I will say, with with that being said, that that's a fact. So with that being said, I think. I like. I, I don't think I. I love my chances against him in a rematch. Because it's going to be a much different fight.
1: Well, you and Muñoz actually have very similar resumes. I mean, you both have two like very close split decision losses, like he does. Um, and then you have this one thing with Marais. So when you look at the, them side by side, you have a win over Jimmy Rivera, a perpetual contender. He has a win over Garbrandt, former champion who uh, had just lost two in a row. Uh, it, it's a, like it's very difficult to discern who deserves a shot over the other. And I mean, I know you mentioned that you might want to face Munoz. You are ranked one spot above him. That would make a lot of sense. But of course, that would usually mean that uh is going to get the shot. So it looks like it's probably going to go one of those two ways.
3: Yeah,
5: I, I agree. I mean, honestly, in a perfect world, I get the shot. I think I, I rightfully deserve it. I am the next guy in this weight class who's put in the most work in this division. Um, I just don't see how I can get overlooked if you're looking at it Based on logic, and you know, it doesn't seem like the UFC uses a lot of logic these days. Um I, I don't. I, maybe, the, maybe the fight with Sayudo is the money fight. I have no idea. That's what people think is gonna put, is gonna sell pay-per-views or whatnot. I, I really don't see it. Marlon's not very talkative. Uh, Sayudo's not very talkative. I don't see. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. This is just a, it's just a wacky time in this division overall and I just can't wait for the dust to settle. Uh either one of those guys and if I I would even fight Sayudo. So if he wants to come up and get welcomed to the to the bantamweight Division, I'll welcome his ass right away. Right away. I got no problem doing that. I'm not afraid of any of these guys. You sign me up, send me a date, like Khabib always says, send me location. I'll be there.
1: All right, Aljo. Well, I hate to keep you from uh, the Hawaii sun. I've got one more question for you, Ally Akinta, your real estate partner, training partner. He uh, is going to be the main event in Ottawa against Cowboy Cerrone. Um, what do you think of that matchup for him?
5: That's a that's an amazing fight. I think uh, Cowboy looked great in his last fight, but I do think all the knockout losses have played a huge toll on his on his body overall. You know, he's had a ton of fights. Um, He's fought the who's who's of this division. He's a legend of the sport at this point in his career, and I think Quint is just getting better with time. And uh, his last performance over Kevin Lee and his other ones before that, even the one his loss to Khabib, showed how tough he is. And not not training any wrestling and then coming out and doing that on a day's notice for a completely style, complete different style of fight with Khabib is it, it warrants a ton of respect. Not getting finished, not rolling over like a lot of these other guys do for him. Um, I, I'm excited for that fight. I think this uh, the win the winner between that is going to have title shot implications.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Al's never been knocked out, so he's got that going for him against Cerrone. Uh, thanks for your time, Al. Joe, enjoy Hawaii, and uh, sorry to take you away from the hot sun.
5: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: That was Aljamain Sterling. He gets it in at the buzzer. Joining us on the TSN MMA Show Extra, some news on the PFL uh, a release that came out today. It's the PFL has some new uh, fighters that they uh, have joining their tournament. And uh, one that stands out is Jordan Johnson, 10-0, was 4-0 in the UFC. He's going to be in a light heavyweight uh, tournament. And a lot of people are sending me messages saying, oh, well, why wouldn't the UFC resign him? Why would he go to the PFL? Well, the PFL's offering a million dollars, my friends. A million dollars is no joke. I mean, if you sign a five-year deal with the UFC and you get paid, I don't know, $50,000 a fight, and then you have the chance to make whatever fight night bonuses, you're not going to rack up a million dollars, for, you know, even in that amount of time. And if you're a 10-0 fighter and you're confident that you can, uh, you can win... I mean, more power to you, Jordan Johnson. Uh, ben Edwards joining uh, at heavyweight, a former kickboxer. That's a, that's a good name, and then a really interesting one at uh, at welterweight. You got uh, Zane Kamaka, who is the cousin of Ray Cooper the Third, who also fights at welterweight. And this is a tournament format. You could see two cousins facing each other in mixed martial arts. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. You got uh, some others at featherweight. You got uh, Luis Rafael Laurentino, thirty-three and one. It's a pretty good record. Uh, Nate Andrews uh, joining the the fold at uh, at lightweight. So you got some good names. Victor Demkov as well, former M one champion at the uh, light heavyweight, jumping into the fray. So uh, that's uh, that's going to do it for the TSN MMA show for this week. A lot to talk about next week because you, we've got that uh, that unbelievable card in Philadelphia. You got. Uh, Justin Gaethje taking on Edson Barboza. What a fight. What a fight. And some other good names on that card. Uh, Sadiq Yusuf, who's one of the uh, big up-and-comers at Featherweight. Uh, you got uh, Alexa Grosso on the card. Kevin Holland returning against uh, Gerald Mearshart. Kevin Aguilar making his return to the octagon. Ray Borg, who's gone through a ton of stuff in his personal life. And uh, one that I'm really excited about that unfortunately won't be on TSM, but will be on Fight Pass, is the uh, debut of Sabina Mazo. Uh, The flyweight, women's flyweight. She's she's awesome. She's going to make some noise in the UFC. Believe me. But that'll do it. This has been the TSN MMA Show Extra. Thanks for tuning in.
4: Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.